1: This is the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Adam Jones, Chris Beasley, and Paul Wheelock as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park, and of course, another busy week of cup action to look back on, and a game in the Premier League, West Brom, twelve thirty on Saturday to preview so let's uh, crack on and, and fly through this pod plenty to get stuck into um let's look back at the at the, at the win over Salford on Wednesday night um, Adam you were there with me 3-0 to Everton much changed Everton 10 changes by the manager always makes you nervous when a manager makes such sweeping changes to any team for a cup game especially the league cup in our uh, in our uh, experience um, mm. but it was comfortable wasn't it in the end really comfortable and we and we were very much in control
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think uh, by the end of the game, Everton had had something like thirty-two shots, which is you know an absolutely ridiculous amount, and it kind of uh, kind of flatters Salford in the end. Of the scoreline, I thought, but uh, all all of the shots seem to come in like two like really condensed portions of the game. Like we were leaving the ground uh, the other night, and we were saying to each other, there were put portions in the first half and in the second half as well, where Everton were just a bit a bit slow, a bit a bit turgid going through the motions a little bit and it just seemed just seemed like it might like at one stage like it might be one of those nights where Salford might just like grab grab a goal at the other end of the pitch and then just like put all eleven men behind the ball. But thankfully it wasn't like that. And you know, I think that was always going to happen when you make so many changes to the side, as you say, it's always going to affect the tempo and the and the flow of the game. So uh, I wasn't too concerned about it. You know, it was just it was as you say, it was a really comfortable win in the end. You know, I think uh, the bright sparks were obviously Anthony Gordon and Niels and Kung-Ku down that left-hand side. But I thought Gylfi Seger had a really good game as well. should have had two assists, did get one assist and got a goal himself. And uh, yeah, I thought, I thought the full-backs played well. I thought Luca Dean played well when he came on at centre-back. Uh, so there were a few good performances in there, definitely. And uh, so, yeah, it, was, it, it, was, it wasn't the most exciting game in the world. But I think you'd take that for, you know... A, Second game of the season, early stage cup, just get a win and move on. Mm.
1: Um, Bees, come to you, mate. Neil, Niels and Kunku, um, Everton debut. I think it was his debut in senior football as well. Um, he played very well. Nineteen. Um, the, the feeling was initially from the football club: look, we're not going to put too much expectations on this lad. He's new to the new to the country, new to the league, new to the way we play. But mm-hmm. there is a growing, there is a growing feeling, mate, that actually. He's progressed so much that the idea of having to go to the, into the market to try and find a replacement for Leighton Baines for a season is probably lessened. Would you be comfortable with having Luka Dina's first choice and Neil's as, as
3: his understudy? Based upon um, that very encouraging debut performance, like you say, um, Phil, um, he, he kind of did what you were hoping, obviously you're in a very different position, that what Moyes Keane would do against League Two opposition in oh, that sure. he would dominate them. Um He was up and down that left flank um, all night, strong strong in the tackle when he was defending, very purposeful going forward, creating a lot of chances down the left. And that's what you want in those type of games. Sort of show that gulfing class, even if he is a raw youngster. The reason why he's been picked up by a Premier League team from Marseille and really taking it to Salford. So, yeah, based upon that performance, OK, it was only one game against lower division opposition. But, you know, considering it was his debut, like I say, his first game in senior football, first game in England, um, he, he looked very comfortable and it, it was very encouraging. So, yeah, you'd hope that Luca Dean can keep fit and play most of the matches. But, you know, as and when he might be required to come in, he, he certainly looked like a, a viable option. Mm, and of
1: course, in front of him, Anthony Gordon had a particularly good second half, didn't he? he finished that game really strongly. Unlucky not to have scored. But, um, Wilo, in terms of moist King, because that's interesting, Chris mentions him there. He cut a frustrated figure I think towards the end. He scores a penalty very, very confidently sends the keeper the wrong way. Um, But he didn't celebrate in his usual manner. That to me was the reaction of a player who knew he or or felt he should have done better. Perhaps he felt he should have scored more than he did. Perhaps was, was annoyed that he hadn't done because he will have gone into that game, seen it as a huge opportunity. And I think if we're being brutally honest, didn't really take it. He he didn't have the best of games, uh, or certainly he's, he didn't play as well as we know he can do. Anyway,
0: No, I agree. He was probably one of our poorer performances on the night, and it, I just wondered it, it didn't look like we were playing to his strengths so much on on Wednesday. Yeah, he's back to goal a lot of the times, and I don't think that is his style. You know, obviously when we've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin up front, there's always an out ball, isn't there? And I wonder mm. maybe some of the players may have been, you know they've always just, because that's the way they've played for so long now with with, with Dominic up front that sometimes they got into the habit of doing the same with Maurice Keane and that, that's not particularly his, his style and, and there were quite a few times that the, the Salford centre-backs had his number but at the end of the day, kind of striker's union kind of thing, he, he had a penalty, he scored it, he definitely should have scored the header uh, that guilty put put on a plate for him mm. and, and at the end, you know, he hit the post with another good header so on another day, he could have played poorly and come away with two or three goals and, you know, You've got to try and stress the positives as well. You know, he did get on the score sheet. He, he clearly was lacking in maybe a bit of confidence. He, as you rightly say, Phil, he was clearly frustrated with his own performance. But he did have the confidence to step yeah. up and take that penalty in the manner he did. And you know, it was this Jorginho kind of style penalty. So, <laughs> yeah, I know it, it wasn't his finest hour and hopefully he'll play better. But, you know, the other day he's off the mark for the season. It took him a long time to get off the mark last season. So hopefully he takes a bit from that because there's, there's certainly a player in there with, with yeah. him. It's just... We haven't seen it anywhere nearly consistently enough, unfortunately. Yeah.
1: Um, a couple of things that have come from uh, from what Willow said that I'd very quickly, and all three of you might have an opinion on this. Who, who will be our penalty taker on Saturday against West Brom? Because obviously, it's no Bainesy. Sigerson, we assume, is not going to start the game in the league. Um, he he um, passed on duties on Wednesday night, seemingly in, in, in an effort to give Moyes the opportunity to, to boost his confidence. Who's who's stepping up on uh, on Saturday? Should uh, should West Brom uh, bring one of our players down in the area?
2: Um I'd I'd love to see anybody try and take it off Richardson, to be honest. <laughs> I feel like he's 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 maybe not like I think he's he missed one in a shootout last uh, on his first South, season in Southampton. In, in Southampton. Yeah. But I just don't think that's gonna have affected his confidence at all. You know, he's took he's took them for Brazil since then and he's and he's buried them so yeah, I'd love to see somebody try and take it off him if if, if the opportunity knocks. To be honest, I imagine uh,
3: Luke Luke Odeen might be in the mix there. Take um, mm. a penalty. Yeah, yeah.
1: Wheelo, any different uh, opinion on who should step up?
3: It probably Fresh won't one. happen because how, how long did we wait for a, a penalty last season?
1: <laughs> yeah. Nearly across two seasons, didn't it? So this is probably a, mute, a
0: moot point, but nevertheless. any Fred, uh, Jordan uh, Pickford can take a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever fancy that. Uh, no. Maybe maybe Rodriguez, maybe Rodriguez, just yeah. to get him off yeah. the mark. He's the big superstar, isn't he? He's the, uh, you know, not the number 10 in, on shirt number, but he is like that kind yeah. of player. So I will not be uh, against him getting off the mark on Saturday if we, we manage to get a penalty.
1: Why do I have a feeling that Yerry Mina will put his hand up if we get a pen? I don't know. Just, he's <laughs> just that sort of player, isn't he? Um, Bees, come back to you, mate. Two games into the new season and the same formation, and, and Adam has written about this, so I, I want to get Wheelow and, and Bees' opinions first. 4-3-3. 4-4-2 was the default formation early on last season when Carlo came in. He tweaked it. He tried different things as, as we progressed. But he's gone 4 3 sorry. Yeah. And if you plays that again Saturday, it's a real sort of right. This is the formation. Now, do you like it as a
3: formation? Do you think it's 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 preferable than four four two? I was actually speaking to Adam about this the other day, and I think it's it's really interesting because four three three was the formation that Marco Silva wanted to play, but invariably never could because of the guilty Sigurdsson issue. He would always. You'd say, well, it's like 4 three, 3 on paper, but in reality, it'd end up being four two three one with Sigurdsson playing behind the centre-forward. So it's quite ironic, really, that Carlo Ancelotti hasn't always played in a certain way, but, you know, he is synonymous with four four two for a lot of his career, and, like you say, it's the way he started at Everton, has adopted this um, 4 three, 3 formation. But I think he obviously saw it in those latter games of last season after the return from lockdown Everton were just so soft in the centre, just not enough coming from that midfield. So, we've seen obviously signing both Allen and Decore. Uh, he's really, and again, ironic because Decore is a player, that's a Silver swan player at Watford and so on, he wanted to sign for Everton. Um, bringing those two in and has enabled him to maybe bring the best out of Gomez as well and, and, and as part of that free. So, yeah, he's, he's getting the best out of those players. Now, given that um, solidity in the centre of the park and free figures there and then you've got like Richarlison and um, Hamez, um either side of calvert Lewin. so yeah it does seem to, um, to favour the players that they, they've got in there now and I said it's just I wonder what Marco Silva makes of it all.
1: Well of course and, and Marco and, and certainly Carlo found this certainly at times last season often didn't have enough midfielders to play it as well never mind you know the Guilfie situation there was half of them yeah. were, were on the injury table and um, we we'll, 4-3-3 inevitably means um, that if everybody's fit and firing, it pushes Richarlison out to the left. Now, it's been a, a long-running kind of, ever since he joined, what is his best position? Are you happy to see him on the left of a front three? Or, or do you think that Richarlison, as he showed really strongly in those early months of Carlos' Carlos' reign last season, that with a strike partner is in a 4-4-2, he can be really uh, quite dangerous?
0: I, I'm quite happy to see him on the left. I think he did a great job of front uh, on his own at times before Duncan changed it to two up top and he, he can clearly play there but I thought last Sunday was really telling I actually thought Richarlison was a bit off off, off pace he, he worked really hard and but he missed quite a few chances obviously the main one early on and then I think of those two in the second half when he cut his side he, a sharper Richarlison give it a few more games would have actually took that in but it's quite telling that I can say that probably about our best player and he could have come away with a hat trick. He's a constant threat. And I, mm. I sometimes wonder playing off that left hand side that he sees more of the ball and he's not such a, a battering man. When we know we've got Calvert Lewin who could do that, like he, he's such a talented player. He could play as a two and have no issue with that. He could play as the, the main focal point and have no issue with that. But I just feel particularly with Rodriguez now, who looks like he's got the obviously that ability to cut inside and play balls across field. I think he could really do with Charleston well. So, I just really following up on from what you and B said there, I just think it suits the players we've got now. And as you rightly said, Phil, you know, Marcus Silver didn't have those options that Carlos got in the middle of the field now. And I thought someone like Bernard looked okay there the other night. I know you've got to take into the consideration that it was league to opposition, but you can imagine maybe him or even a Wovi. You know, I don't think they're going to be first choice by any long stretch of the imagination, but may, maybe that will actually suit them better than being. Than wide players, so I'm quite intrigued to see that Carlo's gone with it for the these first few games.
1: And of course, Carlo has mentioned of the, the two positions you see Rodriguez playing. One is right wing of a front three, or right wing maybe four-four two, but also in that mid middle of the of the three and a four-three-three on the left. So you know, he played Bernard there, as you said, Willow, he could play he will be there. But Adam, going back to Moyce Keane then, you know, as it, as it was suggested, I think, by Paul that maybe the you know maybe we didn't play to his strengths on on wednesday night you know is there's a middle man in in a front three do you think maybe because he doesn't have the of the same attributes or the same qualities he's not the same type of player as calvert lewin good in the air you know runs channels really well all the things we know dominic's greater do, do you see that if carlo is is to persist with 433 that moyes actually his best opportunity is to try and be one of the two wide players or do you think he has to stick with, with hopefully being the main man in that in that system?
2: Uh I wouldn't be too shocked. Like it's a, it's something that we see quite a lot over the last few years with a lot of young strikers don't don't they, they tend to uh, they tend to try and cook their teeth out wide before they drift inside in the Premier League. Calvert Lewin, of course, was was a winger really when he first came to Everton. So right uh, wing back uh, for Stoke. Never well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Let's
2: let's never go back to that. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting what you say that we didn't play to his strengths, and the fact that he still could have scored at, at mm. least a hat trick if he'd took his chances better. I think he just caught a little bit of a frustrated figure as you were saying. I don't know whether it was because he knew like the level of the opposition that he was facing. Maybe he put a, a bit too much pressure on himself. He was like, "Oh, I need, I need to score two or three goals here, otherwise, like yeah. people are going to yeah. be putting questions around me." So I think. Like he, he he just cut to me like somebody who was maybe rushing his chances a little bit, especially that header where he hit the bar. If he'd have just followed the flight of the ball a little bit better, took his time with it, he scored scored that goal. But he maybe put a little bit too much pressure on himself in that situation. So I, w- I personally wouldn't be too bothered if he continued to play up front in this in this sort of system because. I think the chances are going to be creative for him, especially if we're going to have you know somebody like Anthony Gordon playing on the left hand side. Gordon's going to be creating so many chances for him. Uh, I don't think Walcott had his best game. You know, maybe he wasn't really creating as many chances for him. If we had somebody who would be creating chances for him down the right hand side, maybe if we moved like Bernardo to the right hand side or something, something like that, somebody who's going to be a little bit more creative for Moyes Keane in the middle. Then I think, I think it it's still going to be fine. Obviously, it's not playing to his absolute strengths because as you say he's not this sort of focal point target man uh number nine sort of figure as of yet but you know, he's still only what 20 years old and he, mm. i think he's still trying to find his feet on what kind of striker he is going to be for the next few years let alone you know how how good he's going to be so yeah i think we've just got a of time like it's it I, I, it really it really frustrated me to see so many people uh on Wednesday, you know, trying to like berate his performance and saying, "Oh, we need to cut our losses on him." He's he's a 20 a year old lad who has now scored in each of his last three Everton starts. Like that to me is is quite a positive thing, to be honest. Like uh, if he can continue that form, as Wilo said, now he's got off the mark loads quicker this season than he did last season. He's still got such such a big amount of progression that he can make. He's got so much talent about him. Yeah, he didn't have a great game against Salford, but he used to say that he won't like, play against Fleetwood in that central striking role and score a couple of goals and take us through to the fourth round. He could easily do that. Mm, yeah, well said. And, and I think you, have, you are right there, mate, to
1: uh, always remember his tender age because 20, and he's you know not long-term, 20 as well, and the uh, plenty of room for him to grow. B, just the last one on the cup, because I know you feel very strongly about managers, Everton managers playing their strongest possible 11s for these games. Carlo didn't. um, And his very limited history in the League Cup with Chelsea would suggest that he will continue to make changes for the tie with Fleetwood. And potentially if we get through to play the West Ham or Hull in the following round, changes again uh, from the league team. Um, Are you any more comfortable with that or still still unhappy with the idea that that the Everton manager will not play his strongest 11? I basically asked
3: for uh, more or less the first 11 to, to be played. And uh, Carlo, who's, you know, to be fair, forgotten more about football than we'll ever know, um, he just to uh, <laughs> see the players every day. And yeah, he did 10 changes. So uh, initially I was thinking, oh, Everton on a hiding to nothing here against Salford. Um, 10 changes, oh, not just the personnel, how good they are, but just sort of putting together a team. Who isn't used to playing together in any particular like role? Like we said, that I know Bernard ended up playing well, but he wasn't always playing in the role. He always plays in Sigurdsson, um, etc. So yeah, I was very wary, um, but yeah, he, 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 it was negotiated eventually uh, fairly comfortably. But I would, I would imagine, you can't get away with making so many changes away at Joey Barton's Fleetwood. Um, he's going to really have them fired up. We all know. You know, his Merseyside Connections, Boyhood, um, Blue, you will want to get one over, you know, on, on his um, old club. And um, it's a really interesting way that the the competition is um, set up now. In fact, that you know you know who you could potentially have a whole round ahead of it. And the way that has panned out, you don't like getting too far ahead of yourselves. But it's opened up for Everton there. You know, it's a, it's a winnable tie followed by another winnable tie. Then all of a sudden, you know, you're in the latter stages of the competition. So... I can understand why he might make a, a few more tweaks, especially with the games coming thick and fast at the moment. But I'd, I wouldn't be so comfortable with him making 10 again. I'd perhaps have a, a few more uh, regulars in there because I think it will be a, a much tougher um, a game next time, House. Mm. How many times have we said the
1: competition has opened up for us it? And, then it just, <laughs> and then shuts just as we say it? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay. Um, developing story that we're going to talk about, a really interesting story. Um, when James Rodriguez signed, I think there was a, uh, a number of reports saying that the Everton had paid somewhere in the region of 22 to £25 million. Pounds. Um, Everton had agreed a non-disclosure um, agreement with Real Madrid not to say anything about, about the fee. Obviously, some, somewhere down the line, somebody was being told it could have been £25 million. It was our understanding straight away that, that it was nowhere near as much as that. Um, and as the days and the weeks, maybe 10 days now, sort of two weeks have passed, growing feeling and, and the odd report here and there that actually Everton may have not actually paid a transfer fee at all to sign Hamas Rodriguez. Um, it's, it's our belief that actually if any fee and any money changed hands, it was more to do with paying up part of his remaining salary at madrid um wheeler if we've managed to sign james rodriguez on a free brackets but paid
0: some of his wages remaining
1: that's a hell of a deal isn't it yeah starting
0: the summer potentially. i know he's only one game in but come on now you know world cup golden uh boot winner you know such a decorated player and we've seen enough in those 80 odd minutes or whatever it was he played at tottenham to tell that he's, he's definitely still got the class of, uh, of a world-class performer. Hopefully he can do it regularly. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It was made up with the deals that we ended up doing for Alan and Decoré because, let's face it, if we would have signed Decoré a year ago, it would have cost a lot more. And there was the reports that when Paris Saint-Germain wanted Alan before the Dressa went there, they were going to have to pay a lot more than the, 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 the fee we've paid. So every credit to the club for getting three players uh, in and, you know there was rightly we've got to balance the books haven't we we've got a lot of players who need to to go out and you know i was quite surprised that we we we'd spent that much money on these three plays when it came about despite obviously we need them the most but now it could become even more understandable if we've we've got rodriguez on a three it'd be absolutely incredible because yeah yeah there's no question about it he is not a free transfer is he mm. i know real madrid clearly have got money issues of their own we've seen it with get bail and and Tottenham at the moment they need to get some of their high earners off the books but still you know it's, yeah if, the, if this turns out to be true and it, it's, as you were rightly saying Phil it seems to be more and more as the days passes that it could well be it's uh, yeah incredible business by Farhad Micheli and Marcel Brands and, and Carlo Ancelotti mm.
1: yeah in terms of it, it, as I said we, we'd suspected it and, and you know there's been, there's been noises from various people for, for, for a while now but there was, there was a statement issued by one of his former clubs last night wasn't there can you uh, tell us what, what that was about
2: uh, well, their former club was essentially. Uh, I think they got in contact with Real Madrid, did they? And they were and FIFA, chasing, I think, yeah. up, chasing up some sort of like parachute payments and like sell-on stuff that they might have been uh, afforded for James Rodriguez, and they were told you're not getting anything. So it mm. was. It, it's essentially that Everton haven't really paid a fee for James Rodriguez, and uh, I've got to agree with Wheelow that I, th- I just think that's an amazing piece of business, to be honest, from those. I think he just came off in like the 91st minute or something like that against Spurs. That performance from a Rodriguez who can only really be about 75, 80% fit. Now, if he can play like that every week, like even at that 80% fitness, then we've completely added so much quality to our squad. So God knows what he's going to be like when he gets to 100% fit because, you know, he could just turn into one of our best players and, I remember seeing, you know, when those initial reports came out that it was maybe twenty million or twenty two, twenty five million, whatever that we paid for him. I saw a lot of supporters saying, "Oh, well, yeah, this is a good bit of business because of, you know, the quality that he's going to add to the squad. He knows Ancelotti so well. Ancelotti knows him so well. And then, of of course, like the kind of profile that he brings to the club as well. You know, that's got to be that's got to be considered as well and worth something. It, it might not be worth the money on the pitch, but off the pitch, he's he's boosted the profile of Everton enormously, especially in, you know, his native Columbia as well. So yeah, I, I just think if, if we've managed to get him for a free, I just think that's that is an amazing piece of business. And, you know, fingers fingers crossed as as we all said, that like he can just continue continue what he did against Spurs and, you know, hopefully even get better from there as well.
1: Mm. so bees
2: you know you know
1: based on a grown belief that we you know the only money that will have changed hands uh, mm-hmm. say only would have would have been maybe the club paying part of his remaining salary so however many million that would be even still to get a player of that caliber for a, a few million if you like four or five million maybe something like that as Adam sort of alludes to there if things go well this season you know we talk about off the pitch but if he is a catalyst to get us back into the Europa League even mm-hmm. I mean He'll almost pay for himself. I know you've got to factor in his wages, but we understand he's taken a pay cut uh, to come to Everson. I mean, it could be a player that delivers and delivers again because of, of, you know, the the, the, the such a small amount of money that's changed
3: hands. Yeah, it just seems to be a a win-win, you know, all round. To be fair, Real Madrid wanted to get him off the books and you could see, I mean, I was being interviewed by the Colombians ahead of this deal and they were asking me about the thing. I was saying, well, come on, he's only got one year. Left on his his contract at, at Madrid, so you right, maybe it's not going to be a, a big fee, and that that's obviously seems to have um, panned out that way. Now, like we're saying with Banfield, um, that was his old Argentinian club. Who was Adam was talking about um, sniffing him around basically for the money, and it and it didn't come. But yes, yeah, so many reasons on and off the pitch. Um, he's obviously a class act, and uh, just because um, Real Madrid don't want him doesn't mean he's he's a busted flush or uh, you know he's he's over the hill or Whatever. If you look at some of it, his stats, he started off really well at at Real Madrid and he just sort of seemed to lose his way a bit. Two years at Bayern Munich, again, he was signed by Carlo Ancelotti there, but Carlo was sacked very soon afterwards. So, I believe with um, the management there, it didn't always um, work out for him. I think particularly under um, Kovac, he he struggled. So, he just needs that person who can, you know, the the old um, adage, put, put his arm around him and Carlo knows how to treat a player like that, how to get the best out of him. So, yeah, it's really exciting times. And then you say off the field as well, that huge um, presence, not just in Colombia, but I think in the whole Latin American, the whole Spanish-speaking world, really. He's, he's an absolute phenomenon as as you know, as, as an icon. So it really sort of raises Everton's um, profile. A lot of people in Colombia didn't know too much about Everton, despite Yeri Mina being at the club for a couple of seasons. Now the fact that he's he's a centre-back, it's not that. Um, exciting compared to you know Colombia's star player, somebody who was described to me as our Maradona for Colombia. For um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's really sort of t- taking Everton on to an- another level and then that part of the world.
1: Mm. I think he's got a few more followers on social media than any of us, hasn't he? So, uh, <laughs> 89.9 80, 80,
3: yeah. <laughs>
1: million more combined. Um, it's Willow. Obviously, we've mentioned the signings there. We started with Nielsen Kuku came in for, for sort of minimal fee in July as a young player, and obviously the three senior signings, James, uh, Decore, and, and Alan. Um, the window shuts what in three, three or four weeks now. Um, what business
0: do we still need to do? Uh, it's obviously the centre back, isn't it? I know uh, you've reported that, that we are interested in Tamori of Chelsea, and that ticks a lot of boxes for me, you know, with Mason being out for. It, it seems like a, a, consider, a fairly lengthy period of time, given you know, the season's only just started. Bramfoy went off injured the other night, it, we're desperate for another centre-back because Mina, his fitness is pretty good, but he's not been a, a regular throughout his time here. You know, Michael Keane's doing very well, but we, we need another centre-back. And with you guys, what you were saying earlier about Nkunku, I think there's enough of promise there, and Luca Dean's fitness record is so good. Touch one it stays like that. Why spend more money on a, a left back when we've got obviously a clearly promising player there? Same with Kenny. I've always thought maybe Kenny would leave if he wanted first team football, or maybe the club seen him as a saleable asset because he did so well for Schalke last season. And maybe if they did need to balance the books a little bit, he could be one they could get money for. But I'd be quite happy with those full back options. And then yeah, like you, you look further up the field, maybe another winger, or maybe being a bit greedy there, obviously. Richarlison Rodriguez are going to be the first choice if we continue to play that. Gordon Shodan, again, a bit like Nkunku, that you've got to give him some kind of opportunities. I know you guys have said it enough on this podcast, maybe another right-sided player. Uh, but if the window was to close and we got a tomorrow or we got another centre-back in, I'd, I'd be quite satisfied, to be honest. And, and, and as long as we, maybe we get two or three players who are clearly not in his plans off the books as well, I think that'd be a really good window because, we, as everyone, every Evertonian knows, uh, we need a midfield reinforcement, and we've got that. So I think we've done the, the main business that we need to do. Mm.
1: Adam, any uh, any difference of opinion there?
2: No, I think I think hit the nail on the head. I think a centre back really takes priority now. After uh, obviously we're still waiting on the extent of Branthwaite's injury, and fingers crossed, it's not going to be a serious one. But you know, with Mason Holgate set to be out for you know a, a number of weeks at the very least, then you think and see yourself. Yeah, Yann Mina does have you know regardless of what people might think. uh, He does have a pretty decent injury record, but as Wheelock says, he's not been a regular uh, really throughout his two two years so far at the club. Michael Keane, obviously, you know, he's had his injury problems a few years ago, but since then he's been pretty much a stalwart in the side and, you know, he's only getting better and better now. Uh, And then apart from that, we've got Lewis Gibson, who I think is a really promising young player and I would like to see him get some game time uh, over the next few weeks, if possible. But yeah, I, I still think that bringing in bringing in another centre-back perhaps on loan, you know, somebody, somebody like a Tamori would, I think, would fit into the, into the sort of profile. I think he played some really good football for Chelsea, especially towards the start of last season. Uh, I was really impressed with him whenever I saw him then, uh, tailed off a little bit towards the end. But, you know, I think that's going to happen with any sort of young player uh, playing probably his first Premier League football. So I'd like to see him uh, given a chance, and hopefully, we might be able to offer him that chance. But yeah, I think apart from that, uh, a right side of midfielder probably would would be my only other one, just because of what we saw in midweek. You know, Theo Walcott. You know, if he is off his game, there's not a lot of creativity coming down that right hand side uh, when you know James Rodriguez isn't going to be playing because you don't expect him to play every single game of the season. We do need two players in every position still. So I, I would I would suggest that maybe somebody who's going to be a bit more creative down that right-hand side uh, might be a suitable sort of option. But I've got to completely agree with Relo really. Like if we if we were to just end this window with like another centre-back coming in on loan perhaps and we were able to get, you know, a significant amount of these players out that, you know, obviously aren't going to fit into the manager's plans. You know, we've still got the likes of, you know, uh, Mohamed Bessage, for example, still knocking around. Matthew Pennington still knocking around, Sandra Ramirez still knocking around. You know these these kinds of players are going to be looking for moves themselves. So if we can facilitate getting those players off the books for at least this year, then I think that's going to be a pretty successful window. Mm.
1: But he's just 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 for you, I mean, you know, based on the on the on the two players per position, um, mm-hmm. only got three strikers. Do we need another one? Um,
3: no, because I, I think uh, up front you can there's various attacking options, who, like you say, Car- Carvalho and Richarlson, Keane, the, the main ones, but it can sort of alternate. So, cause especially if they go in the 4 you're only going to have one centre forward per game. I, I would echo with um, what the other lads have said, in that for me, and obviously the centre back's the main one, but I'd, I'd like to see a few go out, to be honest. I think, they, I think they need to now. We're getting to that point. Those players who we've mentioned, there's some people like um, Besic and, and Balassi, who, who have um, sort of not seemingly no future at the club, and then the other ones who were high earners but aren't in the position where they uh, thought they were going to be. You know, They came in as first-team regulars and maybe aren't anymore. Um, some of those names are mentioned already. I mean, Walcott, does he have a long-term future at the club? Even somebody like Sigerson has got to be questioned. I mean, it's very difficult to get these players off the books, so I think that would be the struggle getting rid of them. But... It, you'd you'd want to see um some of them um certainly those ones who don't have any future at the club um, being offloaded before the window shuts. Mm. Okay,
1: uh final part of today's pod sort of some of the 10 minutes to go. Uh West Bromwilo other are the visitors uh, tomorrow 12:30 kick off. Um Carlo said earlier in the week that he wants to create um a feeling at, at Goodison. I was going to say atmosphere, but of course, sadly, there's no supporters at the minute. A feeling at Goodison that makes opposition teams hate coming to Goodison. Will West Brom hate coming to
0: Goodison uh, tomorrow? I think they'd hate it more if uh, we had forty thousand fans there because yeah, it's just pretty right. ironic, isn't it? Like we've obviously everyone's very very positive at the moment. We had two great wins, and we can't actually be there on Saturday to see it. But uh, yeah, every football fan's in that position. Hopefully, hopefully, because, you know, I, it was only when I was uh, reading the story on the Echo sites that I forgot that we actually had a really good run at home, didn't we, last season? But it was just that kind of Bournemouth game and yeah. Southampton performance, Villa performance that for, you, made you forget that we were actually on the good run because those performances were so poor. Hopefully, you know, and hopefully by, you know, January time, whatever it is, we have more fans there because it's if we can play like we did against Tottenham, have that measure of control, it's it, and, I think I see the stats. I don't know. If you guys are probably uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But Carlo's away records not that bad. They said either compared to probably Marco and Ronald Koeman. Like, and if we can continue that kind of trajectory and have that kind of control that we we shown at Tottenham away from home, and and then have what Carlo wants at home, we could really be in business. But yeah, yeah, he's absolutely spot on. Like, why not? You know, we've we've got some really good players now in the middle of the park. We can dominate teams at home. Certainly the ones outside of that kind of top six. So yeah, he's, he's absolutely spot on. Like most things, say, he says he he gets it right, doesn't. he?
1: How many did you get three wins away from home in the league last season under Carlo, Newcastle, Watford and Sheffield United or any others missed there? I think that's probably the three, isn't it? But <laughs> but, the, but but that you're right though in terms of Wheeler saying that uses the way record the way record actually is quite good in comparison because
2: oh, yeah he beat be uh, Norwich as well.
1: Norwich, of course, that's four. Yeah so 12, twelve points and yeah, plus a couple of draws and stuff in there, yeah. So um what what
2: what's your feeling going uh, going into tomorrow's game? I think it's equally as big a test as it was against Spurs. To be honest, I think these these were the type of games that tended to trip us up last season, wasn't it? You know, whenever we'd get ourselves into this good good feeling and you know we think we're in a good run of form, and then we play against the team that we think that we should beat, and more often than not last season probably happened under Silver more than it did Ancelotti, but more often than not last season we tripped ourselves up and it, we were back to square one almost and I think this is a real opportunity for Carlo Ancelotti to again set his stall for this season you know he's gone to a top six team now and beaten them away from home and not just beat them like dominated most of the game away from home that was a that was a big plus point for a lot of Evertonians but to come back now and play against the side, a pr- newly promoted side that we all know that Everton should really be beaten on the balance of things you know it, it's now it's now a chance for him to you know, put this into practice, you know, make West Brom hate coming to Goodison and, and just, you know, dominate them in the same sort of way. You know, maybe maybe, maybe the, a similar sort of scoreline. Maybe, hope. well, you've got to hope that Everton would score a few more goals against the newly promoted side. But, yeah, just get, get three points on the board by all means necessary and just try and continue this, like, especially early season with the games coming thick and fast. This feeling of momentum is going to be... Huge, I think, to be able to pull us through, especially just until the end of uh, September, maybe towards the first international break. If we can have a good run of form up until that point, then we're standing ourselves in really good stead for the rest of the season. And I think, interestingly, Carlo's uh, record against newly promoted teams is actually pretty good, isn't it? I think he's never lost to a newly promoted team. I think I'm right yeah, in saying that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was going to, um, I was going, to, I was going to throw some Gav stats at you, but that is one. Carlo <laughs> Ancelotti is yeah. unbeaten against promoted clubs in the Premier League. 1-11 drawn for the best record of any manager. Yeah.
3: Well, so,
1: love it. Continue that, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, West Brom started the season with a 3-0 home defeat to Leicester, and um, B another Gav stat. I'll, I'll hit you with. Yeah. Everton are looking to win their first three domestic games of a campaign for only the second time since 1994, 2012-13 the other one. And if they do so and keep a clean sheet, it will be the first time Everton have won three domestic games without conceding a goal. Okay. yeah, Sorry, Confident? Me. <laughs> I, I mean, Gav's stats last week made you want to bury your head in the sand because they were, they were terrible and really worrying, but they're hugely positive.
3: I, I, I don't want to uh, be on negative here, but I think Gav's referring to that 1993 94 season. Um, whenever if I remember correctly, they won the first three games of the season. And then that was their season they ended up having to beat Wimbledon on the last day of the season oh. to stay up. So hopefully, no repeats of that. But no, yeah, very encouraging the fact that, um, yeah, there's. A, an opportunity to build a bit of momentum here because if you think back to the, the season when Everton actually had their highest Premier League finish, 04-05, um, that was based on gaining that momentum early on in the season. Um, it was almost like everything had gone against Everton. They'd finished 17th, um, their lowest position until this year, um, 16 years ago, um, 39 points the year before. Rooney had left over the summer. It was all doom and gloom, but they got that win at Crystal Palace on the opening day. And they were able to build that um, early season momentum. As you'd imagine, things tailed off a, a bit second half of the season. But because they got those points on the board early on in the campaign, it given them the confidence. It was difficult for other teams to, to overhaul them. We can't underestimate how um, important it is. Getting off to a great start, I, think I remember Everton last season, looking at the fixtures early on and thinking, oh, we can get plenty of points on the board early on and the fact that they didn't do it and what would seem on paper to be a relatively straightforward start for them, they were playing catch up and they actually never did catch up to that and Marco Silva ended up losing his job. So yeah, and then we flip that around, get off to a, a, a great start here, build a few results, get a bit of confidence in the camp, you know, it can really set you up for the, the entire season.
1: OK, good stuff, chaps. Uh, just before we finish, customary predictions time. Uh, Wheelock, start with you. What's your prediction for Everton versus West Brom tomorrow?
0: I'm going to go for a 2-0 home win to Everton. I think uh, the confidence of the way we played at Tottenham should really, we should take that into the game. Uh, the players who played in midweek probably back on the bench, but, you know, they, they should be pretty, a lot of them, happy with their performances. So they'll be jumping at the bit to come on. And I think Leicester probably did Everton a bit of a favour last weekend as well because it doesn't always happen, but, Quite often, new, newly promoted teams, if they get off to a good start, they, they kind of keep on. It's like a bounce, isn't it, uh, yeah. before they maybe it tails off a little bit. I think that would have helped last week. You know, that would have burst their bubble a little bit. And I think we should have too much quality for them, so I'm, I'm going for a 2 nil home run.
1: I'd obviously buoyed by the fact that you got uh, Wednesday night spot
2: on. Um, what's, uh, what's your prediction? Th- thanks to Gav, and I yes. can't copy off him today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, uh, I was going to go 2-0, but just to be different, I'm going to go... 3-0. Yeah. Three, yeah. Just, I, I think, yeah, the confidence will be flowing through Everton, you know, having the likes of James Rodriguez making his first home appearance. I think if he's setting up the kind of chances that he did for Richarlison again, like um, Richarlison takes them this time, then I think it, we're just going to prove to be a bit too much for West Brom. And, uh, yeah,
3: 3 three nil ish <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'm continuing the theme of this um, clean record being uh, um, kept up, and I am going to go for a, a nil for, for West Brom, but not slightly, not quite as, as confident as Adam. I think that Slaven Village will be looking to tighten things up after last weekend. Mm. I'm going to go one 0 Everton,
1: one nil. Okay, interesting. So, well, well, because I didn't want the uh, lads just copying Gav blindly, because I I would have done, and um, well, kind of have Gav uh, two nil Gav home win, of course. Uh, Preno uh, 3-0 home win prediction so uh, cl- clean sweep of victories in the range of 1-0 to 3-0 so we will see uh, see who's right but of course Gav is uh, 2 two for 2 which is uh, incredible given his, uh, his poor record last season chaps good stuff thank you very much uh, for your company and thank you very much for listening this has been
3: the Royal Blue Podcast you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo